And we welcome you to this week's edition of Dolphins In-Depth. I'm Barry Jackson, along with our Miami Herald, Miami Dolphins beat writer, Daniel Oyafusi. Daniel, good to be on with you. And an interesting week marked by some interesting transactional stuff today, where three receivers who had been in competition for roster spots suddenly are no longer in competition for roster spots. Uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., who was an intriguing young talent for them last year, placed on injured reserve, so he is likely out for the season unless the team should reach an injury injury settlement, waive him, and then somehow bring him back after going through waivers. And, of course, Robert Foster also released today injured and Isaiah Ford injured. So plenty of news today, and it should be an interesting uh, week upcoming. Uh, it's good to have you as a colleague. You've now completed a couple of weeks uh, with us here at the Herald, and Tell me your impressions of the team, just being up close and watching practice this last week. What is your general view of what this team is and what they can become? Well, I'll say it's uh, it's definitely been a fun, fun week plus, um, you know, learning about this team, learning South Florida, Miami, um, as it relates to the Dolphins. You know, I keep on saying that this is a, it's a very interesting team. Um, Last year, like I said, they doubled their win total. Uh, and I keep on saying, I'm not sure if you can really label this team as being in a rebuild with the talent that they have uh, at the roster, uh, among the roster, top to bottom. Uh, the big question is obviously Tua, and he's looked very impressive. Um, you know, in the short, short stints that I've seen him, obviously, in the preseason game against the Falcons, um, he looked great against, albeit against some of uh, the B team of the Falcons. Uh, but again, they're in a weird spot where they're supposed to be in year three of a rebuild, but you can't really call a 10-win team a rebuilding franchise. So uh, I think whether they go up or down is really, uh, really dependent on Tua's progression in year two. Without question. And this is a team that's ready to win now, that wants to win now. And obviously we can't judge anything off a preseason game in which the Falcons were playing second and third teamers primarily. But... I feel better about this Dolphins team than virtually any Dolphins team I've seen going into a season over the last seven or eight years. Because if you just look on paper at what they have defensively, uh, their secondary, especially if Javon Holland develops into what we think he can become, their secondary is as good as anybody's. Uh, I think they're going to have enough pass rush if Jalen Phillips is as polished a pass rusher as we believe he is, between Ogba and Van Ginkle and Adam Butler and Phillips. I think the pass rush will be very good. My only question defensively, Daniel, is will they be able to stop the run better? Because last year, as we both know and our listeners know, they averaged or they allowed 4.5 yards per carry. That's simply too much. So that number has to shrink. I think you're going to see improvement against the run because of Bernardrick McKinney's presence. I think Raekwon Davis will be better in year two. So defensively, they're really good. Offensively, you now see over these last few weeks, even with even with Will Fuller not practicing, I think you get a sense of what the vision was for this team, which was allowing Tua to get the ball off quickly, get the ball into the hands of his playmakers, see Jalen Waddell generate yards after catch, utilize Gusecki, utilize Parker and Fuller, who both returned to practice on Tuesday. And I think the running game is better than we probably gave them credit for. Miles Gaskin is a decent player. Now, is he going to be top third of the league in starting running backs? Probably not. 
but I think he's got a chance to be not bottom third of a league of starting running backs because he's better than I think most people realize. And we've seen what Salvan Ahmed has done catching the ball out of the backfield. And I like the growth of the offensive line so far. I think we have to give them a full year to judge what they are. You know, is Solomon Kinley the mauler that Troy Aikman thinks he's going to be? Is Austin Jackson going to be at least a decent starting left tackle? Can Rob Hunt be the type of Pro Bowl guard that some Dolphins people believe he can be? And, you know, can Michael Dieter turn into maybe a better version of Ted Karras or Daniel Kilgore? So I'm optimistic, but I was optimistic before the Falcons game. I've always regarded this team as something that could be, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth seed. Now, if they're ninth in the AFC and they miss the playoffs, if they win 10 games again, you can't call the year a disaster, but obviously there'll be disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, I want to go position by position with you over the course of the show today just to get our thoughts on roster battles and the like, but just a general overview question. If you look in the AFC, who would you say they would be clearly behind and where would you sort of rank them hierarchy-wise in the AFC just projecting going into the season, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, if you start at the top, I think that they're – Definitely in a lower class than the Chiefs, um, the reigning AFC champions. Um, they're definitely a, a, a tad bit below the Bills. I do think that this, the way the roster is constructed, they'll be able to compete with the Bills and even steal a game um, during the season. But I still would say that they're a little bit, and they're in a tier right below them. Um, I would say that they're. They're probably below the Ravens, um, just given their veteran experience. And I know that a lot of people are high on the Cleveland Browns, but when you start to go to the second, maybe third tier AFC teams, such as the Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers, depending on the health of Ben Roethlisberger, um, even a team like the Chargers, who are expected to make a big leap with Justin Herbert, I would say that I'd put the Dolphins in that those classic teams. And you have, you have to remember, this team was 10-6. and six. If they don't lay an egg against the Bills in Week 17, I mean, they're likely in the playoffs. So I would say that expectations are rightfully high for this team. And I expect them to be very, very competitive uh, throughout the season. I know that they have games against the Buccaneers. They have games against the Ravens. They obviously have the two divisional games with the Bills and the Patriots, who I didn't even mention, but I think that they're also in that second tier of the AFC teams. Uh, but I think that, like I said, they're in the second tier, and they have a chance to to really, you know, they surprised people in 2020, but I think they could really surprise people again in 2021 if uh, Tula is the quarterback that they're hoping he can be. I agree with you, and I'll give an example of a couple of teams that last year you would have thought would be clearly better than them that I don't necessarily think are clearly better than them anymore. Tennessee and Indianapolis. Uh, I would say on paper the Titans are a little bit better, but I don't think the Titans are dramatically better than Miami. I don't think Indianapolis, with the uncertainty about Carson Wentz and whether he'll rebound from last season's disaster in Philadelphia, I'm not sure they're clearly better than Miami. And obviously there will be an AFC South team that will make the playoffs as a division winner, and it's probably one of one of those two, right, as opposed to Jacksonville or rebuilding Houston. The one thing that would concern me, and I, I agree with all of your points about where they fall in the AFC hierarchy, the one thing that would concern me is there are a couple of other non-playoff teams from last year 
that I would be slightly concerned with. One would be the Chargers, because obviously you're going to get a full year of Justin Herbert. They've improved their offensive line. They will be formidable. And uh, also, you can't ignore New England, not only because of the quality of coaching, but because of the uh, the acquisitions they made this offseason, improving at receiver, uh, improving their front seven defensively. So I think New England and the Dolphins are probably close in talent. The big question is, will Tua be better than either Cam Newton or Mac Jones? So even though the Dolphins were right on the cusp of the playoffs, you do have to look behind yourself in last year's standings and be at least leery of what New England and the Chargers can do. Any other AFC dark horse that you could see maybe challenging Miami for a wild card berth? Well, I know a team that's uh, been thrown out a lot is the Denver Broncos. Obviously, they have a kind of a pseudo quarterback competition with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Lott, but this is a team that has some nice skill positions, skill position players, I should say. They have a defense led by Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb, and they were a team that was kind of floated out as a potential suitor for, for Aaron Rodgers because they had so much talent, talent, and it seemed like they were just a quarterback away. So I think that they're, I can't say a 500 team now because there's 17 games in the regular season, but a 8-9, 9-8 team, uh, that could be a surprise team and maybe win double digits depending on how things shake out. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, I want to go over with you each position on the roster because if there's ever time to do it, it's this week with roster cutdowns looming on Tuesday, uh, August 31st. Teams must get down from 80 to 53 at that point. And I guess the situation at receiver, which was always very intriguing, uh, became a little more clarified today. We don't have total clarity, but as we take this on a late Tuesday afternoon, as we mentioned at the start of the show, three receivers who had been contenders for jobs are no longer contenders for jobs. Robert Foster, who had a very good camp at times, showing good speed, was waived injured. Isaiah Ford was released. Lynn Bowden Jr. placed on IR, likely out for the year. So now, I think it's pretty clear cut. You have six receivers who are almost assuredly going to be on the team. Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Jalen Waddell, Albert Wilson, Matt Collins, and Preston Williams. I don't think there's much doubt about Matt Collins at this point because we know his value as a gunner on special teams. We know he's an underrated receiver who's had a good camp. He's been with the first team a lot before Fuller and Parker came back today from injuries. So to me, the only question is this. With Fuller not counting toward the 53 in week one because of his NFL suspension, do you keep Jakeem Grant as a seventh receiver overall, but he would be a sixth receiver in week one? Or... Do you try to trade Jakeem Grant maybe for a late-round draft pick for a team that needs a returner, and then in week one keep one of the young developmental receivers, either Kirk Merritt or Malcolm Perry, uh, to have a sixth receiver on the roster? Or do you just keep five in week one with Fuller unavailable? To me, that's one of the more intriguing questions of the next week. Keep in mind that none of Jakeem's $3.6 million salary is guaranteed. But what I wouldn't do is just release him because he has value. He was third in the AFC in punt returns last year. We know he's been one of the league's better return men over the last few years. So even if Waddle should take that job early this season or at some point this season, he still has value. I did think it was interesting, Daniel, that we saw other guys return kickoffs and punts in the Falcons game, whether it was Noah, whether it was Malcolm Perry. And that said to me 
that the Dolphins were preparing for a post-Jakeem world in which maybe Jalen Waddell was injured or unavailable. They wanted to know who would be their backup return man if Jakeem isn't on the team and if Jalen Waddell is, for whatever reason, not available. Uh, what would you do at receiver? Do you agree with this assessment? Would you keep Jakeem Grant? Has Kirk Merritt intrigued you enough to maybe try to sneak him on the 53, which seems unlikely, but I don't know that he would clear waivers and be able to be moved to the practice squad. I'll start and say that I think that the Dolphins know what they have in Jakeem Grant, and I'm not sure if there's a a clear role for him on this team. He's not considered one of the top three or maybe four receivers on the offense, and while he is a great special teams returner, you do have someone in Jalen Waddle who can provide um, just as much of what Jakeem Grant does. And, you know, we saw that in the preseason opener against the Bears. I think that when you get down to the bottom the bottom end of a, of a depth chart for a various position, um, you know, not counting quarterback, obviously, you're looking for guys who can – can play special teams, and I think that's a big reason why Matt Collins will be on the 53-man roster. So the question that the that Chris Greer and the Dolphins front office has to weigh is: while we know what he can, while we know what Grant can do as a returner and potentially as a receiver, is it worth keeping someone who's not going to get significant snaps on offense and who could be whose position on special teams could be overtaken? Is it worth keeping that guy on the 53-man roster? And, and and given that, it makes sense why you know we've all heard and uh, and kind of thrown out the possibilities of him being traded. If I were in the Dolphins' position, I would lean to seeing if I could use Jakeem Grant as a as a trade ship because you have to keep in mind keeping Jakeem Grant on the roster isn't just about having a certain amount of receivers on the 53-man roster. If you keep him on the roster, that's another end of the end of the roster guy, maybe an extra linebacker, maybe an extra cornerback, somebody like Jamal Perry or another safety who is not going to be on the roster. And um, those are the difficult decisions that, that you get when you get down to the 53-man roster cut down. Um, again, Given the the depth at right at wide receiver that they have, I would lean to seeing if you can get something in return in a trade for Jakeem Grant. If not, I think that while Kirk Mer- a guy like Kirk Merritt has shown promise, um, you know you'll take your chances with trying to get him on the practice squad, and then kind of dealing with the the numbers uh, in the coming weeks. Because again, while this time next Tuesday, we'll we'll have the three man roster. It's not set in stone. There's going to be a lot of transactions. Whether that's guys being placed on IR, guys being released, uh, guys being released and then being signed again. So there's going to be a lot of movement even after we get to the initial three man roster. I agree with you on the numbers game at receiver. I do think it would be difficult to keep Jakeem Grant long term, barring another injury, for this reason. Once Will Fuller is back on your 53 in week two, keeping Jakeem Grant, assuming you keep Preston Williams, would mean having seven receivers. And I think this team simply cannot afford to carry seven receivers when they're going to be carrying four tight ends because, you know, Gasecki, Durham, Smythe, Adam Shaheen will be on the team barring something stunning. 
And obviously Hunter Long, the third round pick, will be on the team. And that doesn't even count Stephen Carter, who's a combo H back tight end, who conceivably could begin the year on IR. Uh, he's got a sprained knee, but he would initially have to be on the 53 next Tuesday at 4 p.m. if you want to keep alive the possibility of him being activated and helping you after three games this season. Let's go over quickly the rest of the offense as far as open jobs. Running back, I think it's clear to both of us. Obviously, the top three is set in whatever order. Gaskin, Malcolm Brown, Ahmed, with Gaskin, your likely starter. To me, it comes down to Laird or Dokes rather than Jordan Scarlett or maybe someone who's currently on another team who's going to be waived for the fourth running back job. I thought it was interesting, Daniel, that Eric Studesville said to me yesterday when I asked him what does Gerald Do- what does uh, Jared Dokes do well, he said, well, he would like to see him run with a little more power, which I found interesting. So Jared Dokes has not won the fourth running back job. Patrick Laird is formidable competition. He's been here a couple of years. He knows the system. He has value on special teams. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I'll be interested to see how that battle goes. And frankly, there's a possibility both could be cut and not be on the 53. And then maybe if Miami places someone at another position on IR, maybe a Seathan Carter or Vince Beagle, maybe they then re-sign Laird or Dokes as a fourth running back on the 53 after some initial roster machinations. Uh, quarterback, not worth discussing roster decisions there. We know Two and Brissett will be on the 53. We know Reed Sinnott will be on the practice squad unless another team surprisingly takes a chance on him uh, and puts him on their 53 on a waiver claim next week. Uh, so that just leaves offensive line to toss around before we go to break. And I thought the move today, and again, we're taping on Tuesday afternoon, I thought the move today, Daniel, cutting Jermaine Elmanor was interesting because he was a Patriots starting right tackle to begin last season. The Dolphins never gave him an opportunity at that position. He was exclusively a backup guard. So now your sixth lineman is presumably going to be the loser of the left guard battle. And at this point, Solomon Kinley looks like he's in the lead in that battle. He remained with the first team today. That would leave Liam Eikenberg as your sixth lineman. Your seventh lineman could be the person who wins the center, the backup center battle between Matt Skur and Cameron Tom. Then you've got Greg Little, acquired from Carolina, as potentially your eighth lineman. Maybe you keep a ninth. It could be Adam Pankey, who's been injured. Could be Lauren L. Coleman, the rookie seventh rounder. Could be someone who's on another team now who's going to get waived next Tuesday. But what's missing from that group to me is an experienced, savvy veteran off the bench, unless it's Skura, who really is only a center. Uh, does that concern you at all? Because originally, I think their vision was to have experience off the bench with either DJ Fluker, who injured his knee, or Elmanor, who simply never fulfilled their expectations. Right now, there's no Jesse Davis type off their bench. Would that worry you at all? It would. And really, when you look left or right and look at the offensive line room, overall, it's a, it's a young group. It's not just the potential depth guys. Um, you look at whether it's Austin Jackson or potentially Liam Eikenberg or uh, Robert Hunt or Solomon Kinley. These are all really young guys, uh, and that's part of the maturation process of this offense. Uh, you're going to have to count on a lot of guys who don't have a ton of experience to, to, to make quick strides in their development. And I would say if there's one thing that worries me about this team as a whole, 
it's the offensive line. Because uh, like I said last week, um, offensive line player or line play in general isn't, isn't you know, really watched and applauded, but it can make or break games. And I think that they've performed well recently. I think that, again, it was against the, the B team of the Falcons, but just the fact that they were able to block pretty well for Tua and open some lanes in the line game, that's something that's that, that was promising. Uh, I Over the course of the 17-game regular season schedule, I think that this is going to be a, a slightly above average to average offensive line. But I also think that the way this this offense is formed and what we've seen, which is a lot of uh, short to intermediate passes, I think that it will kind of mask any deficiencies within this uh, this offensive line. That's a very good point. If Tua gets the ball out quickly and he's releasing the ball in under two seconds, you're absolutely right. That's going to uh, sort of mask any deficiencies which they have. And I'm with you on the fact that I suspect this is going to be an average to slightly above average line. The question to me is, is there anyone special on the starting offensive line? To me, the one guy who's got the best chance would be Robert Hunt. I know the Dolphins have told people they think he's got Pro Bowl upside at guard. He's a really talented kid. The transition's gone very smoothly. So I think he might have a chance to be sort of an upper echelon guard. With Austin Jackson, he just was so raw coming in at the USC last year. You're just still not sure how high the ceiling is. The one thing I'm encouraged about with this line is, even though obviously they're far from perfect, there have been mistakes, Austin Jackson struggled against Chicago, despite all of that, there's never been a moment where I thought it was too big for any of these guys going back to last year. There was never a moment where Kinley or Jackson gave up like three sacks in the span of 10 minutes or something. So at the very least, they look like they're going to be generally competent. The question is, can they be better than that? With all of the high round picks invested on offensive linemen, you should emerge from this process within the next year having a clearly above average offensive line, whether they will or not, still has to play out. Okay, so we broke down the offense for you in the roster battles. Daniel and I are going to do that on the defensive side of the ball after we take this short break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix Live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we welcome you back to the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. Barry and Daniel with you uh, as we await preseason game number three in Cincinnati. On Sunday afternoon, we're breaking down the Dolphins roster by position as we head toward the cutdown to 53 next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, let's talk front seven defensively. To me, you have a few interesting decisions left. There are a bunch of bubble guys 
who have NFL experience, uh, either a little bit of experience or significant experience, that you wonder, will any of them stick? And that group includes Calvin Munson and Shaquem Griffin at linebacker, certainly Vince Beagle, who missed last year with the Achilles and now has uh, a foot injury on the other leg. It also includes John Jenkins, who's been very serviceable, nose tackle in this league. Jason Strobridge, the fifth-round pick of a year ago, who played sparingly last season. Jonathan Ledbetter, who was a Dolphins' starting defensive end in that debacle against Baltimore to open the 2019 season. Uh, Benito Jones, who got about 60 defensive snaps for the Dolphins last year. So these are names, all of whom are on the bubble, all of whom at least have had a cup of coffee as far as NFL experience. The question is, is there room for a single one of them? Uh, I'm looking at it, and I ran the numbers this week. Daniel, I took a look at uh, how many spots they can allocate to the front seven on their 53 to me, it would surprise me if any of those guys make the initial 53, except possibly Beagle if he heals quickly, which I'm not expecting. I think he's more likely headed to IR. Maybe John Jenkins, but to me, Jenkins would be someone who you would cut initially and then maybe re-sign after week one before he would be guaranteed for the season. Uh, the contract would be guaranteed for the year only if he's on the team for week one. So any of these fringe bubble guys uh, that you think they should keep, I'm presuming that Sam Aguavon is on the team after last week. I think we'd be stunned if he wasn't. I think Duke Riley's on the team because he's getting a lot of work uh, with the first group in nickel packages, at least he has been until recently. I think Brennan Scarlett is on the team even though he's now injured. Uh, So I don't know what bubble guys of any of these stick. Anyone jump out to you that you'd like to see more time invested in? I would say not really, and I would say I agree with you that I don't think that any of these veterans have really made a push. We haven't seen them much with the first team. And, again, when you get to the the bottom of the, the roster, those final spots, a lot of times it comes down to special teams. I thought that it was really notable that Griffin didn't play a single defensive snap against the Falcons. Uh, if you asked me right after the game what that meant, I thought it probably meant he wouldn't be around for the, the next set of roster cuts, but he did live to see another day. But again, I don't really expect him to be on the 53-man roster. I think that this defense is one that has a lot of depth from, from top to bottom. Um, even Even among the linebacker core, which you would probably say the inside linebacker core is maybe the weakest part of this defense, but they have Jerome Baker, Bernard McKinney, they signed or they, they traded for to to try to clear up some of the issues they had in run defense. Sam Eglamon is a versatile guy who can play outside, inside, and play special teams. Um, I don't see them taking more than maybe five inside linebackers, but even that would be kind of too much. So I think that I think that there won't be too many surprises uh, on defense when we get to the 53-man roster cut down demo. You know, what's been interesting is even though Jalen Phillips went two weeks without practicing, when we see team drills, he's often with the first team. And I asked Robbie Leonard, one of their linebacker coaches yesterday, how realistic is it for him to play a lot week one? And he said the guy needs snaps in practice. He said we just haven't seen him enough in practice to even think ahead yet to week one. What's clear, though, is that they know how physically gifted he is. 
I mean, 6'5", 260, with those sort of polished pass rush moves, you can't teach, of course. And what also pleases them is the fact that he's extremely sharp. He can take things learned in the classroom to the field quickly. So I think that gives them confidence that he's going to be able to contribute immediately in a significant role week one, even though he hasn't practiced a lot because of a hamstring injury. Uh, I've been encouraged front seven-wise by a couple things, Daniel, in this camp. One is it's clear that what we saw from Van Ginkle last year was not an aberration. This guy is a disruptive player who can, you know, as they say in the NBA, fill the box score. He can give you two forced fumbles in a season, three fumble recoveries, two interceptions, five sacks, right? I mean, he's disruptive and helpful in a lot of ways, and we've seen him do it throughout training camp. He's batted down a couple of passes in practice. And the other thing that I'm encouraged about is Adam Butler's addition, I think, was really underrated. This is a guy who consistently generated pass rush in New England off the bench for the Patriots, had 15 sacks in four years. And to me, a five-man defensive line rotation of Ogba, Raquan Davis, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, and Butler is good. And I think it's potentially better than good if Wilkins becomes what all of us hope he will. Uh, I guess if he doesn't do it this year, if he doesn't take the step from pretty good to really good, we're probably not going to see it. And obviously, Raekwon Davis's ceiling is very high. We all know about Flores' fist pump after Davis fell to them in the draft in 2020. So uh, to me, it's a front uh, three, if they are in a three-man front or front four, uh, that has the potential to be really good. I like that five-man rotation. I just don't know that there's a six Dolphins defensive lineman on the roster now who sticks. I haven't seen much from Strobridge, Ledbetter, Benito Jones, Tyson Render. Uh, in camp, and these are all interesting young players who deserve an opportunity, but all of them have been in the game when there have been several long runs against them by Chicago and Atlanta in the second half of game. so I'm not sure any of them stick, and as we talked about, Jenkins is an interesting case because we know the Dolphins trust him. We know he has an NFL body of work. He hasn't been great in preseason probably would go unclaimed off waivers if you release him and bring him back, but he has value as a big guy who can be a backup nose. So I think that's a decision that will at least draw some discussion uh, next week. Want want to move over to the defensive backfield. Uh, your initial thoughts before we go over roster battles, tell me your initial thoughts of this defensive back group, Daniel. What's jumped out to you? What surprised you? Well, I think it's one that can be one of the best in – the National Football League, and obviously that starts with Xavier Howard. Um, I know the Dolphins are relieved that they were able to kind of put that saga, that early training camp uh, saga behind them because he, he is one of the best uh, cornerbacks in, in the league. And um, though Byron Jones may not be right up on his tier, he, he's a very reliable option as a, as a number two guy. Um, and then you, you look at the the safety tandems, or I'll say trio right now, because Javon Holland hasn't officially taken over that top geography safety. Uh, it's one that's uh, very versatile, um, can do a lot of different things, which is important in Josh Boyer and Brian Flores' de- uh, defense. Um, like I said last week, it's a defense that blitzes a lot, so they end up playing a lot of single-high safety, um, and that's where uh, they're hoping that Holland can kind of be that 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 Roman figure and the guy playing center field and being able to be a disruptor in the passing game, but also like uh, that they got, have a guy in Eric Rowe who we saw uh, line up in the slot 
again, joint practices against the Atlanta Falcons and hold his own against uh, Kyle Pitts and, and tight ends in the slot. Um, so, again, we hear it all the time that this is a defense based off its versatility and being multiple, but that's not that's not just coach speak. They really do um, rely on that to keep offenses um, on their heels and, and confuse them. And again, in the defensive backfield, I think that the reason why they're they're so successful on third down and they, why they were one of the best defenses on third down is because they have guys who on the outside who can lock you down. Um, so while the front is also talented as well, it almost doesn't matter as much because the, the quarterback is holding the ball for so long um, because of those guys in the defensive backfield. So, again, I think it's a really talented backfield, and I think that uh, defensive backfield, I think it's going to be really the strength of this unit uh, in 2021. I'm with you. And to me, there are two big questions as we head toward New England and barrel toward the opener in a very tough opening three games with New England, Buffalo, Las Vegas. And those two questions are this. Who is your first team nickel corner? It was Justin Coleman the first three weeks at camp, and then Nick Needham, who to me has been as good as any undrafted free agent pickup of this regime over the last four years, he and Preston Williams. Uh, we've seen Needham move into that first team role beginning with the second of two practices against the Falcons last week. He was the first team nickel last Thursday. He was again on Saturday. And I asked the two defensive backs coaches about that yesterday, and they said, well, we just want to make sure both guys have an opportunity. We want to make sure we see both players playing with different guys. Now, they saw Needham for nearly a full season last year playing with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, and they know what he can do. His work was pretty good last year. He was very solid most of the season, obviously struggled in the finale against Buffalo against Isaiah McKenzie. But to me... Needham is every bit as good as Justin Coleman, who's had a good NFL career, but but is coming off a, a tough season in Detroit. So that's interesting to me. Who ends up with that job? Gerald Alexander, the defensive backs coach, said this could be a case where they go week to week with first team nickel and base it on matchups and other factors, including who happens to be playing well of those two. So that's one thing. The other thing, which I know all Dolphins fans are eager to see, is when is that moment, Daniel? When Brian Flores, Josh Boyer, Gerald Alexander say to themselves, it is time for Javon Holland to replace Jason McCourty and be this team starting free safety. I would have thought it might have happened by now, but it didn't last week. And now Holland is out injured, although the good news is neither of us saw any sort of compression sleeve or anything on Javon Holland. He was wearing nothing that suggested he has a major injury. He was walking around fine today. So whatever is keeping Javon Holland out does not look significant. So invariably and inevitably at some point this season, Javon Holland is going to be the Dolphins' free safety. The only question is, at what point does that happen? And I was asking Gerald Alexander yesterday, when do you know is the right time? What will be the clear indication to you that it's that time to make that move? And he said so much has to do with communication from Holland, calling out the correct signals pre-snap. He says he knows a lot already, but there's certainly another level of graduate degree classes that he can get to until they're comfortable with him in that role. So it's obviously a moot point until Holland is back practicing. The good news is that it doesn't look too serious. Uh, to me, Eric Rowe has really been an under underappreciated member of this team. He's done well against every tight end he's played except the two best ones in the league, Kelsey and Waller, and everybody can say that. I know you spent some time with him today, Daniel. What's your impression of, of Eric Rowe, who to me is a, a real success story of this regime? 
Yeah, my impressions were that he's a very selfless guy. Um, he's one that has kind of bounced around position-wise. He, he played a bit of safety, or he played safety a lot in, in, in college, and then he entered the league with the Eagles and then the, the New England Patriots as a cornerback, and then uh, finally he came back. Um, you know, he, was, he said he was injured in 2018, but uh, he signed with uh, the Dolphins and joined Flores in Miami in 2019, and he made that switch to safety. And I think that the team has really benefited, again, from his versatility, um, the ability to line up in different spots and do different things. And I think that, again, that's going to be really helpful for, for this for this defense. I, I look at their looming matchups with the Bills, and how often the Bills go four wide or they go 11 personnel, which is uh, three wide receivers and one tight end. And the fact that you're going to need to throw defensive backs out there who can cover different positions, whether that's a tight end, a wide receiver, maybe maybe even a running back in spots. And that's where I think that Eric Rowe is going to be really, really um, impactful for this defense. Yeah, I feel good about this team at safety. I guess the roster questions at safety would be this. You know Brandon Jones, who came back from the ankle injury, will be one of the four safeties for sure, along with obviously Roe, McCordy, and Holland. The question is, is there room for a fifth? Do you keep a Nate Holly, the former CFL Rookie of the Year from a defensive standpoint? Do you keep Clayton uh, Fedulum, who has value on special teams but also has a $2.3 million salary, none of which is guaranteed? Or do you keep Jamal Perry, the former cornerback, who has stuck around for the entire length of the Flores regime? My guess is none of them stick. I think you begin the year with the four safeties. That's my guess of how it's going to work out. Perhaps Holly, Fedulum, or Perry appears at some point in a game for the Dolphins this year. But that's my read of safety. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would say I would agree with that assessment for two reasons. Because of the versatility that McCourty brings you in being able to not only play safety but cornerback and the fact that um, if the Dolphins do keep seven receivers like we think they, they will and four tight ends potentially or four running backs, you're going to see one position maybe not have as much depth as 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 usual. And again, um, the fact that those types of guys might be able to clear waivers and then you can get them back on the expanded practice practice squad. And a lot of those rules from last year have carried over to, to this season where you're able to keep more guys on the practice squad and then elevate two guys. Um, so you, you, you can see a situation where um, guys are on the practice squad and then they're elevated on game day to play special teams. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. There is one position where you're going to have to keep sort of a, a limited number of players, and I think safety makes sense as one of those positions. Now, a corner, we know five of the guys. If they keep six, five are obvious with Xavier and Byron and then Justin Coleman, Needham, and Noah. Uh, Noah continues to have sort of an uneven training camp in preseason. He allowed both targets against him, against the Falcons, to be caught for 29 yards. So he's allowed four or five passes in his coverage area. Uh, to be caught this preseason, but uh, he did have some decent moments against the Falcons in the joint practices. At the moment, my guess, Daniel, is that if, God forbid, Xavier Howard or Byron Jones is injured, Nick Needham is probably the first boundary corner who goes in with Justin Coleman handling the slot. 
Uh, I guess there's a possibility McCordy could be used in that role as well, but I, I would be surprised if it's initially Noah in that role. Of course, if the Dolphins are in that position, it's going to be a tough spot because this defense clearly is built so much around Xavier and to a lesser extent what Byron Jones is able to do. Uh, if you keep a sixth corner, the question is, are any of the four on the roster worth keeping as a sixth? Uh, Cravon LeBlanc is a guy who's been in the league for several years, has limited starting experience. Uh, he played 34 defensive snaps last week, which I found interesting. That says to me that the Dolphins want a long look at Cravon LeBlanc as a potential sixth corner. Uh, the cornerbacks coach, Charles Burks, told me that he thought he played really well. And then they have Tino Ellis, who's a guy who played uh, briefly with the team you previously covered, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and then they have two young corners in Trill Williams and Javaris Davis. Davis, second-year corner out of Auburn, who had been having a very good camp but is now injured with an undisclosed injury. And Trill Williams, the Syracuse undrafted rookie, who some had thought would be a fourth to sixth rounder, but he missed a good deal of his senior year because of an injury. And he was around the ball a lot, made several plays the first three weeks of camp. You and I were sitting next to each other last Thursday and saw him suddenly inserted against Matt Ryan in the first-team Falcons offense late in day two of their joint practices. And unfortunately for Trill Williams, it didn't go well. Gave up a couple of completions, which obviously shouldn't discount the good work that he's done in camp. But I think the likelihood with Trill Williams is that the Dolphins try to get him on the practice squad, uh, hope he clears waivers, and sort of have him as a developmental corner. Uh, Which of these guys are you interested in seeing this weekend at Cincinnati, knowing that Javaris Davis very well might miss the game because of injury? I would say LeBlanc, um, just for the simple fact that, again, when and Forrest even alluded to it uh, in Tuesday morning's uh, presser when he said, it's fair to say that there's two, three, maybe even four open spots left on the roster. And when, again, I keep on saying it, when you get down to that, it it comes down to special teams a lot. And he did have, uh, he, he did get some on special teams, but like you said, he, he did primarily play on defense. So I'd definitely like to see him get some run, see what he can do uh, as a guy who can potentially be another roster special teams guy, but maybe a pinched uh, cornerback if, you know, they have a rash of injuries. Uh, True Williams, again, that was, I, was, I was very interested, as you said, uh, to know the reason behind him getting uh, first-team reps uh, in the joint practices. Maybe there was a method to the madness. Um, but, but, again, yeah, I think a lot of those guys are going to they're gonna get significant time in the preseason finale. Uh, Brian Flores hasn't disclosed what the plan is, but I don't think that we're going to see a lot of those defense stars play past the first quarter, if at all. So I think there's going to be a real opportunity for, for some of those quarterbacks to potentially seize a final a final roster spot. You know, it's funny to me, and you just touched on this, who's going to play on Sunday. It's just funny to me that there isn't sort of uniformity, there isn't any sort of uniformity among NFL coaches about which game to use as a dress rehearsal game. We saw the Falcons play really none of their starters Saturday. Maybe we'll see them in a Sunday night NBC game for the Falcons against Cleveland this weekend. The Dolphins obviously took the opposite approach, played their starters for an extended time. I would be surprised if we see many starters play much at all Sunday in Cincinnati. But this would seem like something you would think NFL coaches should discuss when they're all together at an owner's meeting in Palm Beach or Phoenix in March. 
and try to, you know, reach some conclusion about, okay, what's the game that should be the dress rehearsal game? Because you really don't get a good gauge of some of your players if they're playing primarily against backups. I guess that's that's neither here nor there, but it was something I was thinking about over the weekend. So if I'm Flores, I do not play two of this weekend. Or really, I don't, I'm not even sure how much I play Jacoby Brissett. I would play Brissett maybe a quarter and then let Reed Sennett play three quarters uh, in Cincinnati. I would not play any of the receivers who have been injured and are now back. Will Fuller, Albert Wilson, Devontae Parker. There's no need to risk an injury in this game. I don't play Gasecki. I do play the entire young line because they need the work. I would not play Jesse Davis, let him rest his his right leg. Uh, He's had some swelling in his knee, but he says there's nothing serious there. Let Liam Eikenberg play virtually the whole game at right tackle. So that's what I would do offensively. Sounds like you agree with me, at least with the offensive part. What would you do defensively? Who do you want to see play on Sunday in Ohio, Daniel? I'll tell you who I don't want to see, which is pretty much the entire starting defense outside of a guy like Jalen Phillips. I think that he could really contribute from getting some extended action, and we did see him play into the second half against the Falcons. Um, I'll say overall, I think that the thing that's making the the rationing of the playing time so difficult to, to kind of map out is the fact that there's such a such a large gap in between the final preseason game and then the week one opener for everyone. It's a little bit it's about about two weeks essentially until from the from the, the two games. Um, so that's why we do see some different teams taking different approaches. And there's uh, the question of, you know, how rusty will you be if you don't play all your starters and they have a couple of days off and then you finally get to week one prep. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that the offensive line would be really, would, would be really, uh, it would be beneficial for them to get that time, that timing down, that communication, um, because it is a, it is a young group. But outside of that, I don't think we need to see a lot of these starters. I think that, while they did perform well against backups, I think that you, you have to feel confident in what you saw and hope that that will start to carry over into your preparation for week one in the New England Patriots. Yes, and I would also like to see a lot of snaps on Sunday, and I think we will for four young defensive linemen, Strobridge, Ledbetter, uh, Benito Jones, certainly among that group. Uh, Tyson Render was the other one just to see what you have in those guys, whether they're worth investing more time in on the practice squad, whether they're players on other teams that you think would be better developmental defensive ends on a practice squad, maybe as guys who you would elevate in a pinch to a game day. So that, to me, will be important. And also another look at a few of their young defensive backs, uh, you know, including the young corners we talked about, Troll Williams, does he show them anything where you decide, okay, this is someone that's worth investing more time in on the practice squad at the very least, which would seem likely. And obviously it's a big game for the Calvin Munsons of the world, guys who are on the roster bubble, uh, roster bubble, I should say, Shaquem Griffin, obviously, as well. So Sunday will be intriguing in that regard, even if it's not great theater, even if we don't have many starters playing the game. But I know you're off to Ohio. Enjoy your first Dolphins road game. As the Miami Herald's beat writer, I enjoyed it, Daniel. We thank all of you for joining us. Uh, Enjoy Dolphins at Bengals Sunday. We will talk to you next week. So long, everybody.